Welcome to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. As a community of faith, we are passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus. The message for this week is from our current verse-by-verse study from the book of James. In each message, we will see some practical truths for living God's way in situations and circumstances that are often out of our control. As always, we would love to have you join us for a Sunday service sometime here soon in Vancouver. You can find directions, more info, and more sermons on our website at And James chapter number four is where we'll be. We just came back from a week of camp, as my wife mentioned, and we had teen camp, and thank you to all of you who prayed. Apparently, your prayers were not that great, though. Oh, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? (laughs) Within two hours of camp starting, we had a kid break his knee and his wrist. If you can believe it, tore a muscle in his leg, broke his kneecap, and broke his wrist in the first two hours of camp. So I said, City Baptist, where are you? No, I didn't say that. (laughs) Thankfully, that was the only injury. Thankfully. But uh, we haven't had an injury. I think that's the worst injury in the history of camp, actually. And uh, this kid went up for a layup or dunk or something. He was trying to do play basketball, and he just wiped out, and he landed. And anyway, so let's start the service on a downer, right? But other than that, it was a great couple of, well, great finish up of two weeks of camp. Teen camp was fantastic. Pastor Holland, who preached for us last week, uh, did a fantastic job with the teens. You know, some of the messages that he preached, I was thinking about it. He was talking to teenagers about, um, you know, the heart behind serving the Lord and, and just some of the ways that he was able to articulate to them what it means to walk with God. What I was thinking to myself is like that message was born out of 26 years of youth ministry. And uh, I think you guys realize that there is something about maturity that allows you to see the Word of God in a unique way. And uh, he definitely has that maturity. Working with teenagers for 26 years, I did it for nine years and it felt like a lifetime. You know, he did it for 26 years. He gave his life to serving teenagers and it really just flowed out in his messages. I mean, they were just on point. So it was a real blessing. We had um, several different, uh, uh, I know we had several that were saved, accepted Christ. We also had several that um, got assurance of their salvation during the week. And uh, it was just a real blessing to see the Lord uh, work as he does. I love camp, as you guys know, and it really was great to see all of the work and effort that we'd put into um, the camp this summer really uh, come to uh, fruition all in those couple of weeks and seeing, I think we've had more kids saved in the last two weeks than we have in quite a while. And so it was a real blessing to see. But thank you for praying for that. All right, we're in James chapter number four. Uh, this morning. We're continuing our series. This is uh, message number 13, actually, of our series. Uh, But we're stepping back into our study of the book of James, and we're going to see a continuation today of the initial question that James asked us in James chapter 4 and verse number 1, where he said to us, where are all of these wars? Where are all of these battles? Where are all of these difficulties coming from? And so he conti- we're continuing that today where he just asked us, where is the conflict in your life coming from? Where are all of these uh, troubles? And since he asked that question, of course, he has showed us throughout the study of, of chapter 4 in particular, he showed us that the source of conflict within the church family, the source of conflict within each of our lives personally and individually do not necessarily always come from the outside, but they come from within. They come from a heart that is prone to sin. It is developed out of the battle between the old man and the the new nature that we receive at the time of salvation. And it's a battle that continually is waging within. And what we've learned so far is that if we do not submit to God with humility, very easily a Christian can find themselves not only as a friend of the world. Remember he says we should not be friends of the world. 
But if we're not careful, we'll be a friend of the world and we'll also find ourselves at enmity is the word with God, which means a person who's actually in active opposition to the things that God is trying to accomplish in a person's life. It really has been a soul-searching chapter. And that's why when we got to verse number six uh, two weeks ago, uh, it was such a breath of fresh air as James reminded us that even in the middle of a struggle of sin, even when it's di- there's difficulty all around, of, all around us, he said in verse number six, but he, God, gives more grace. And that was really a breath of fresh air in that, in that difficult chapter. He just says, God is going to give you all of the grace that you need. His grace is abundant. It was the idea that uh, it's like a waterfall, just a never-ending source, just continuing outflowing of God's grace that's available to us as Christians. And then last week, I love how Pastor Hall came and preached about grace. And not only is that grace enough uh, for what you are going through, but that grace is enough to share with others as well. And how he talked about being a dispenser of grace. And that really was a powerful message. If you weren't here last week, make sure you check out the podcast. You can listen to it um, or the live stream as well. You can go and hear that message. It was really, uh, really a blessing, but it's an encouragement to know that God's grace is sufficient. Grace is undeserved favor. And God has given us undeserved favor, even though we have rejected him, even though we sin against him, he still gives us grace to face the difficulties of this fallen world and enough to pass around. Now, as we've said, I think many different times, James is a tough book, isn't it? James is a is a soul-searching, heart-piercing, right-to-the-point, in-your-face kind of a book. And in verse number six, he gave us a glimmer of hope, and we're like, okay, James is going to now just turn into this happy, you know, just really encouraging kind of a guy. Well, guess what? He gets back to it very quickly where we're at today. And he gets back to addressing some of the issues that the early church was dealing with. And the thing that I'm amazed about is that even though this was written 2,000 years ago, the application is still so on point for where we are in 2019 today. And so today uh, in verse, we'll be in verse number 11. But in verses 5 through 10 that we covered in our last message, he talked about developing an attitude of humility and surrender to God. Now he brings his attention back to the battle that is raging within. And specifically today, he's going to address the sin of pride. He's going to address the sin of pride. Did you know that pride is not a new thing? Did you know that? (laughs) Pride is not a new sin. In fact, we understand that even before the foundation of the world, pride was a part and played a huge role in Lucifer's rebellion against God, resulting in him being cast out of heaven, becoming Satan, who is our adversary today. In Isaiah chapter 14, it tells us that he had, was lifted up in his heart and he said, I will be like the Most High. It was pridefulness that caused Lucifer to be sent out of heaven. And since that time, pride has roared through human history. It has always been present. Uh, it has never gone out of existence. And pride is damaging both to the carrier of it and the recipient of that pride. And it reveals itself in many different ways. But James here is going to talk about two areas of pride that can be a struggle in a church family and can be a struggle within the Christian life. Remember, James is writing to believers, isn't he? He's writing to those that were scattered abroad for their faith. These were people that had been through persecution. These are people that had taken a stand for the Lord and as a result had been displaced from their homes. And so he's writing to what we would maybe consider today mature believers. None of us have been displaced from our homes or our land because uh, uh, because of of, uh, being a Christian. But these guys have been displaced and so he writes to them and he's encouraging them. But even though they had already taken a stand for God, he says there's still some issues that need to be addressed. Now the first way that he shows us that pride then can reveal itself is in speaking evil of others. Look with me at verse number 11 and verse number 12. So James chapter 4. 
James says, speak not evil one of another brethren. So he's talking about Christians here. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother. Now, we understand it's not just talking about guys here. It's talking about all of, all of the, the family of God. He says, uh, if you judge his brother and speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law, but if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. Verse number 12 says, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Then he asks this question, who art thou that judgeth another? Who are you to be the judge of somebody else? At the very beginning here, though, he tells us and encourages us, speak not evil of one another. The words here that we see that are dis, uh, described for us and translated speaking evil mean to slander. It means to incriminate somebody with your speech. You ever have that happen to you before? Been incriminated by somebody's, uh, by somebody's words? It means to uh, find fault with somebody. Now, I would never expect that any of you have ever found fault with somebody, <laughs> but we've all been found fault of, or someone has accused us, all right? Gossip is another definition for speaking evil. And I think if there's ever an area that each of us is prone, is that in our humanity, it's so easy for us to find fault in other people, isn't it? How, I don't understand. It's like, it'd be so hard to do other things, but when it comes to finding fault, every one of us is an expert. <laughs> every, every one of us, none of us would proclaim that, oh, you know, uh, I, I can't do a lot of things in life. But one thing you are an expert in is finding faults of others. <laughs> that's, what we all, that's what we all do. We see the problems in others, but we miss out on the glaring errors in our own lives. And criticism comes to us so quickly. It, it comes either in a very direct word where we criticize somebody or find fault with someone, or it comes sometimes even in a backhanded, veiled compliment. <laughs> Seeming a compliment, but yet we're still in a way criticizing uh, them. This week uh, at camp, Jeanette was uh, the camp cook, and she does an awesome job at cooking. And, and uh, someone came to her and said to her, this is actually good. <laughs> <laughs> so how did Jeanette take that? She came to me later. She's like, I can't believe, you know. What they, well, they didn't expect it not to be good, right? And it was a different dish. I understand that. But uh, and maybe it was the first time having it. But in their response, they were complimenting her that it was good, but in the way that they said it, it was sort of like, I didn't actually expect you to pull this off. <laughs> she did, though. It was fantastic. And so there's these little ways that, that we judge and little ways that we criticize uh, others. And honestly, there's a lot of reasons why we criticize. You know, when we criticize somebody else or we find fault in someone else, it boosts our own self-image, doesn't it? Pointing out somebody else's failure or tearing someone down makes us seem a little bit better, at least in our own eyes, at least in our own eyes. It adds to our own pride. It adds to our ego. It adds to our own self-image. The other thing about criticism is that criticism is easily enjoyed. I don't know what it is about criticism and finding fault in others, but it's something that we enjoy. We take pleasure in both hearing and sharing negative news about other people. It's, it's such a weird part of, the, of, of, of our lives. Criticism as well makes us feel better about our own lives, doesn't it? Whether it's somebody who's failed morally or somebody's behavior is, is sinful, whatever it may be, it makes us feel better than that person who failed. It makes us, maybe in our own sin, be like, well, I'm not that bad. And I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as that person might be. Another reason that we enjoy criticism is that it helps us justify the decisions that we've made. It helps us to uh, justify the things that we've done throughout our lives. It helps us to rationalize our decisions and our acts by pointing at the failures of others in order to make our decisions seem like a wiser or a better decision. Criticism as well points out to our friends how strong and how great we are. 
<laughs> Don't you love that? It points out to them how, how good we are and, and, uh, and, and sure enough, we are uh, validated in our actions and, and who we are. But yet the problem is, is we're validating our own lives off of somebody else's failure, perhaps. Criticism as well, I find, is often an outlet for hurt and for revenge. We feel that people deserve it. Subconsciously sometimes, if not consciously, we think that person maybe hurt me at some point, so they deserve to be talked about. They deserve to be criticized, and so we criticize people. Now, as Christians, we try to pretend like our speech is not a problem. We try to pretend like we would never speak evil about somebody else. Or we may even say, well, actually, they're sinning, and I'm just pointing out their sin, right? <laughs> and while that may be true, James here tells us, just don't do it. Just don't do it. He says, do not speak evil of one another. Well, why? Look at the second part of the verse. Because he that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. So why shouldn't we live a life that is critical of, of other people? Why shouldn't we live a life that judges others and, and points out other people's faults? Because when we do that, what we are doing is we are violating the royal law of God. Now, what's the royal law of God? Now, James talked about it already in James chapter 2. I don't know if you remember this. In James 2, verse 8, 9, he, 9, he said, If ye fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin, and are convinced of the law as transgressors. The royal law is to love your neighbor as yourself. The royal law is to demonstrate God's love that He's given to you and demonstrate that to other people. And so the person who speaks evil of another person is in fact, in effect breaking the royal law. Because you cannot speak evil of somebody else and show the love of God to that person. It's not, those two things aren't happening at the same time. Well, I, I, I pointed out their faults, but it was all in the love of Jesus, right? <laughs> That's not how it works. If you're speaking negatively of somebody, and this is the funny thing, while you are breaking the royal law of, of criticizing a person, you then there are standing in judgment, and like the verse says there, you are, uh, you're, you're standing in judgment and you then become the one who is the judge of the law. In essence, what you are saying is that the law of love, the royal law, the treating others as, as we desire to be treated or as God wants uh, us to treat them, what we're saying is that that law is not very important. What we're saying is that it can be ignored, it can be neglected. See, the person who talks about somebody else in a negative, tear-down kind of a way is guilty of, of uh, essentially what happens is you, you become a double hypocrite. I don't know if that's even possible, but you do. <laughs> because you not only are ignoring the law of love that you should be following, but then you're also then slandering somebody else for maybe their failure in a, in a way. You're guilty of slandering others and then using the law to slander them. <laughs> but putting yourself in the place of God is what's happening. See, we're very good at picking and choosing which parts of the Bible we will listen to, aren't we? We're very good at picking and choosing. I'll, I'll believe this and I'll, I'll keep to this, uh, but you know, I'll maybe have a little, little gossip time here and there and that's going to be my thing. And it's okay because I, you know, I tithe. Or, you know, I, it's okay if I talk because I uh, help this person out. And we, and we try to pick and choose, but he says, no, no, no. You, you're, you're being a hypocrite is what you're doing. You're putting yourself in the position of God. And I got to tell you, that's a dangerous place to be. See, in verse number 12, he says, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to, what's that word? Say it. 
destroy. Now think about that for a minute. God, the one lawgiver, has the power to save and the power to destroy, doesn't he? Who art thou that judgeth another? Here's the point. God is the only judge that our world needs. God is the only judge that our church needs. God is the only judge that you need in your life. Isaiah chapter 33, 22 tells us, For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Remember, God is the only one who can convict somebody of their sin. I find it very rare in my life that if I point out the fault of someone to them, that they fall under conviction of their sin. Very rarely, to be honest with you. Unless it's done in the right, the right way. But me making a comment to my wife or me making a comment to somebody about somebody else's sin, rarely does that create a chain effect that they just fall under a conviction about it. <laughs> right? But the Holy Spirit can definitely convict of sin. The Holy Spirit can definitely stir a person. And I've seen people come broken before the Lord because not because of anything that I've said or anybody else has said, but because the Word and the Holy Spirit is, does that work of conviction and creates that judgment in their hearts. See, He is the only one who can judge, but He's also the one who can give someone the grace to stop and to move out of a place of sin. We must not allow our pride to take us to a place of sinning ourselves in order to try to fulfill this need that we have to, uh, like we talked about at the beginning of the message. See, this is where we get so messed up, I think, sometimes as Christians. We're kind of messed up, aren't we? It's okay to admit that. Hi, I'm Paul, and I'm kind of messed up. <laughs> we are. We're all messed up. We are broken people. We live in a broken, fallen world. And the thing is, is that all of us have great needs in our lives to be accepted, don't we? We have needs in our lives to belong. And what happens is that we have a legitimate need to belong. We have a legitimate need to be accepted. But in our sinful nature, the only way that we often come up with to do that is to put somebody else down, <laughs> to try to meet that need that we have in our life. And when we do that, we are sinning in order to try to fulfill a need that Christ should be filling through His grace. And we're, we're getting the two things messed up. Rather than finding fulfillment in Christ, rather than understanding our identity in Jesus Christ, we tell God, you aren't enough for me, so I'm going to try to just work everything out my own, and I'm going to put other people down, and I'm going to uh, fall away from you in order to try to fulfill this need when, when Christ is the one who can fulfill all things. Whenever we speak evil of somebody else, it always has a price tag to it. You ever, you ever go to the store before and you find something you like and there's no price tag on it? You ever find that? And you're like, well, I hope it's on sale, right? <laughs> and you get up there and they, you know, they call somebody, they find something else and they beep it in and it's way more than you thought. And you're like, you can just keep it, right? <laughs> keep it there or put it back. I'm not going to take it. That's often how it is when it comes to our speech. We say things and we don't understand the price tag that's associated to the way we are talking about other people. We must remember that the God who can destroy has promised to judge such speaking. I think the thing we need to take away out of this, uh, this point is simply the question who are you to judge another person? Who are you to judge another person? Now, I think I have to say, though, there are some who try to take this to an improper conclusion. Okay? There are some people who would say that, they, that we should never, ever, under any circumstance, say anything negative about somebody who is a Christian. Now, while I think that's a good principle maybe to live your life by, 
the Bible does give us alternate examples of that. Of course, we know Romans teaches us that there are times when there is doctrinal error and it needs to be talked about. In fact, there's been times even in church where I've maybe said something publicly about doctrinal error or about something that's out there that we need to be aware of. That's okay. That's not speaking uh, evil speaking of someone. That's warning the brethren. That's encouraging somebody with the truth. In Timothy as well, there was an example with the Apostle Paul and Alexander, and it was more of a personal situation. But regardless, there was a warning that went out about a person who was causing some problems. And so it was in the right context. Does that make sense? But the day-to-day gossip that we participate in, talking about others, uh, is not typically in an attempt to warn against biblical error or doctrinal error. Typically, it's a way to just build ourselves up. It doesn't maybe match what we would do, or we weren't consulted about it, and so we feel like we should give our opinion even though they're not in the room. Something we don't care for personally. And it's interesting, most of the things that I deal with as a pastor has nothing to do with those kind of issues. I found this quote along this subject, and it really did help, I feel, sort of just bring things together. By Mark Strauss, he said this, If it falls our lot to pass judgment on anyone... Let us be certain we are not uncharitable or inconsiderate to judge another's motives. That right there, we could just stop for a minute, couldn't we? Judging someone else's motives. Rather, let it be done in love and with the fullest knowledge of the facts in question. You ever been guilty of judging somebody or saying something and you didn't have all the facts? (laughs) Man, that's that's a hard thing when you're confronted with the truth, right? But if we must question the motives or actions of another Christian... It is always, it's always more profitable to speak to him than about him. Oh, that was a great thought. If there ever comes a situation, the idea here is that it should not be very common. It should not be commonplace that we'd be talking about one another. But if something comes up, it's always better to talk to that person, which is biblical, than to talk about that person. James here warns us, your pride can get you into a lot of problems. And it's surrounding evil speaking. And our pride really leads us into it. But now he continues into another area of pride that reveals itself in the Christian life. And that is planning without considering God. Planning without considering God. At first he says, watch out, your pride can lead to evil speaking. You should not be involved in it. If you're involved in evil speaking, you yourself are putting yourself in the place of God. You're saying that you're the judge of the law rather than God. Beware of that. But then he says this, Be careful about planning without considering God. Say, where does he say that? Look at verse number 13. He says, go to now. Now, this is an old, uh, this is a Jewish way of saying, hey, pay attention. (laughs) This is what he's saying. Pay attention to this. Pay attention. Ye that say. So those of you that might say this, pay attention to what he's going to say. Today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. You say, that's kind of a weird What's happening here? What is he talking about? Well, James has given us a bit of a situation. I don't know if it was a specific person or if it was something that was born out of a pattern that he saw in the church. But regardless, he talks here about a person who is living their life self-sufficiently, meaning they are planning their life without God. They're planning their life without God. Now, in our world today, self-sufficiency has seemed like an admirable thing. If you, uh, if you type into Google uh, self-sufficiency or the self-made man, you ever heard that before? Self-made man. There's an article on uh, the art of manliness. By the way, that's a great blog. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff on there. The art of manliness. Talks a lot about beards and uh, 
you know, no. <laughs> um, anyway, there's an article on there, 25, uh, you know, most impressive self-made men, and they kind of tell you their backstory. And to, to our society, we look at that and we say, wow, these people who came from abject poverty, you, no hope, seeming like they never get out of, of, their, of their town of 200 people and, and their family, systemic family issues and how they came out of it and were successful and created all of these uh, amazing uh, products or whatever it is that we use. And to our world, it seemed admirable. And I got to tell you, there's nothing wrong with making plans and finding ways to better your situation. And, and in fact, we know, of course, Scripture teaches us to be people of work ethic, people that are wise in our business dealings. And we're to plan and think about our financial decisions and our business decisions. But planning before we act is not what James is trying to get at here. He is warning us not to plan without God. He's warning us about planning out our lives without even considering God at all. It's interesting that despite multiple warnings in Scripture about planning, about seeking counsel, the unfortunate fact is that a lot of Christians live their lives and plan out their futures without even considering God. And the temptation is is that we often plan out our futures as if our own will and our own desire is going to fulfill the destiny that God has for us. Just think about that for a moment. And I think his example here in verse number 13 is a perfect illustration. See, when we approach life in such a way that we feel we're going to be the ones that are going to take care of it all, that we're so self-sufficient. I've even had people say to me, uh, you know what? God just doesn't need to worry about me. I'm one less person he needs to worry about. I'll just take care of everything myself. That's not a great way to approach life. But this illustration is perfect because someone who feels self-sufficient, notice this guy. Notice how he planned the day of his departure. He says, I'm going to go today or tomorrow. This is what I'm going to do. And then he says, I'm going to go to a particular city and I'm going to go to that city. And and so he determines I'm going to go to this place in particular. And then he plans how long he's going to seek, right? How long he's going to go after this effort. He says, I'm going to go there for a year. And, uh, and then he also tells us here uh, the plans of his endeavor. He's going to go, I'm going to buy, I'm going to sell. This is what I'm going to do. And then he, as well, he tells us about his, his projected costs and his profits. He's, he's almost guaranteeing us. He says, I'm going to go and I'm going to get gain. I'm going I'm to build up my wealth. I'm going to do all of these. And you can expect that at the end of one year, I'm going to be a richer man. I'm going to be a wealthier person. And this is what my plan is. I'm going to go here and this is all how it's going to go. And again, the things that he's saying here are not wrong. You should plan properly and be wise. But there's no mention of God in here. There's no plan in here to serve God. There is nothing at all about seeking God in his plans. This approach to life is not wise. That's why James says, hey, pay attention. If you're the kind of person who goes out and lives your life in this way, it's not wise. It's not wise. If you're the kind of person who makes plans, and and it's great to make plans. I I like to plan. I'm more of a far future planner. My wife is an every minute of the day planner. (laughs) Everything's planned out, you know? She could tell you exactly what's going to happen in in, in like an hour and a half. She'll tell you exactly where we're going to be and what's going to be happening. She's a planner, and that's great. And we're wired differently. Some of you are just like, hey, whatever. You know, like it doesn't matter. But all of us do plan. All of us do plan, or at least we have hopes. We've been sitting down recently and, and redoing our, uh, our life insurance policies. Isn't that a fun conversation to have, you know? And who do you want to have your money when you die? What happens if both of you die? What happens if both you and your beneficiaries die? It's like, well, I don't know. Anyway, 
we just went through all these questions, you know, like, have you ever had a mole removed? You know, like, what, what did they treat you with? Was, man, all these things. And, and uh, we're just <laughs> trying to get in a, a better position that way. And, and, uh, and, and, it's, and it's hard to think about all these things in the future, but it's not wise to plan out your life without even consideration to God at all whatsoever. Why is that? Look at verse 14. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? What is your life? It is but a vapor. (laughs) Fogging up my watch. (laughs) Fog in a window. The fog in the morning that gets burned off by the sun. It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. God is saying here to us, it does not matter how much planning you do, how much preparation you have, You cannot even know. This man was planning a year out, but you and I do not even know what's going to happen tomorrow. (laughs) And he's trying to make all these plans. This is exactly what's going to happen. This is where everything is going to be, but he cannot even guarantee what is going to happen tomorrow. And the same is true today, isn't it? You can make all the plans that you want and there can be a stock market crash. I have people close to me who have lost their entire retirement savings in an instant. In an instant. It could be a personal injury that you have no idea about. Someone who loses control on the road. It could be a family crisis, an accident. Last week in Kelowna, one of our sister churches in Kelowna, uh, a man in their church, very involved, he's just in his early 50s, had an aneurysm and passed away just like that. Seven children, I believe he had, and a wife in his 50s. Healthiest guy, very, very healthy and just, just like that. We know not what tomorrow brings, do we? We do not know. We do not know what may come. This is a quote out of Proverbs 27, verse 1, that tells us, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Verse 14, he just tells us again, What is your life? It's like the parable of the farmer that Jesus gave in Luke chapter number 12. The man had had a big year on his farm. He had a bumper crop, as they call it. And he had a lot of, he had a lot of wealth from it. And so he says, you know what I'm going to do? I had such a good this year, a good year this year. I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger barns. Remember that story? And I'm going to build these bigger barns and I'm going to fill them up and everything's going to go good. And he said in verse 19, and I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. That's what he said. I'm going to build, I have, I, things are going really good. I've got these plans. I'm going to big, bigger barns. And then Jesus responded to this. But God said unto him, thou fool, thou fool. Tonight, this night, thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall these things be, which thou hast provided? What good? Whose is going to be? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Life is not uncertain to God, but it is uncertain to us, and we need to remember that. We often have, uh, so we're so certain that things are going to go this way. Only when we are in the will of God can we be confident tomorrow because we know that He is leading us. James says life is short. It is a vapor. To us, life is everything, isn't it? We measure life in years. But you got to remember, God measures our life as a dot in eternity. To us, that little tiny short amount of life that we have on this earth, the 75 years, 80 years, if you're fortunate, you know, 80, you have those years in this life and we're like, this is everything. And I'm going to spend my entire life building and growing wealth and doing everything I can for just this short amount of time. And God's like, that's, that's like not even a blip on the radar. That's just a, that's nothing. Look at eternity. 
and, and we, we, we labor and we do everything for this little turning thing. <laughs> and God's like, hey, you should be more rich towards me. You should be rich towards the things of God. You should be building up treasures on heaven, not treasures on this earth. Someone said it this way, since life is so brief, we cannot afford merely to spend our lives. And we certainly do not want to waste our lives. Instead, we must invest our lives in those things which are eternal. Things which are eternal. So how should we approach our short time on this earth? In verse number 15, he says, For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will. If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Here's the point. Believers cannot live independently from God, is what he's saying. Everything about our decisions, everything about our futures, everything about our lives should be wrapped up within the will of God. God's will for our lives. Our plans cannot ignore him. We have to have plans, and God wants us to plan and be wise, but there should be a clause or an asterisk above every plan that we have that says, if God wills it. If this fits within the sovereignty of God and his higher will for my life. It, and, it, and it means far more than just simply saying, if God wills it. Like some people say that it's kind of like a, it's like verbal clutter, you know, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills. And, uh, but do you really mean that is the point, right? It means that we plan with God as we make our plans. It means that our plans will be evaluated by God's standards and by God's goals. And really, the plans that we make for our future, whether it's financial or personal, would be revolved around the Word of God and what He has called us to do. That is the kind of planning that pleases God. I'll give you a couple of quick verses. I don't have them here on the screen, but in Proverbs 3, 6 tells us, In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Matthew 12, verse 50 says, For whosoever shall do the will of the Father, of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. There's that, that close connection to those who are following, pursuing the will of God. You see, when we are making plans for our future, whatever they may be, whether they're family, whether they're financial, uh, whether it involves a move, uh, an investment, a new career, a job change, whatever it is, we must ask ourselves the question, Will I get richer by doing this? No, no, that's the question we do ask ourselves. The question that we have to ask when we're faced with a big decision is, where is God in this decision? Where is God in this major life change? Where, uh, where is God's will? What is the impact going to be on my spiritual walk? That's a great question to ask. What is the impact in my spiritual life? Here's a better question. Now, I know that you say, well, you're the pastor, so this is the kind of stuff you say. Sure, just, that's okay, that's right. What's the impact going to be on my local church, right? If God has called you here, if it's God's will for you to join and be a part of a local assembly in a body, and I believe that's, that's, that's you know, God is our father, the church is kind of the mother, right? This is where all the care and stuff takes place. And if God's called you here and it's his will for you to be here, you need to ask the question, how is this decision I'm making or this pursuit that I'm going in going to affect my local church? I think it's a very valid reason, right? We're the body of Christ. We're to, be, we're to walk in fellowship. That's a huge part of the Christian life. Amen. And so we need to ask those kind of questions. What's the impact? You know, sometimes we make decisions to, uh, that would take us, away from wor or take us away from worshiping with our church family or work situations that consistently allow us to miss church. Okay, where's God in that, right? These are all valid questions. Too many of us make decisions and then we say, God, please bless my decision. <laughs> this is where I'm going. I've had that happen to me as a pastor many times. Hey, pastor, 
just want to let you know, I've made this massive decision. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like, hey, you know, we're praying about this or I'm thinking about it. What do you think? It's just like, this is what it is. Would you shake my hand and say it's okay? <laughs> I don't even know if it's okay. Have you prayed about it? Right? Have you sought counsel about it? Uh, Proverbs, three times just in one chapter of Proverbs, it talks about seeking counsel and how there's safety and counsel and reaching out to those that are mature in the faith. But I'm afraid that too often when it comes to big decisions, we don't pray enough about it. We don't consider the spiritual impact of it in our lives. We're simply thinking like this, man, I'm going to go this. I'm going to see. I see the financial gain in it. I see how it's going to grow. I see. I see it. I see it. And you may see it. And you may have a perfect plan and a perfect uh, idea and a perfect business, whatever it may be. That's great. But where is God in all of it? Man, so many times in my life, I've been guilty of sitting there and thinking about the gain I'm going to have in the future part of my life. I don't know if I'm going to. Probably not. But I think about it and I'm like, oh, if this happens, you know, this happens and this happens. And, and I have to really rein myself in a little bit and say, okay, that may not even be in God's will, right? I remember when we were starting the church, I had a pastor uh, come to me and uh, he said, he said, Paul, he said, I love what you're doing. Um, I believe in you. Um, and he said, I want our church, uh, we're going to write the check we want to pay for all of your startup costs. That was like a $40,000 estimate is what we had for our startup costs. And he's like, you know, our church has, they had a bunch of money in the bank. He's like, we're going to, we want to write the check to help you get the church started. And I was just like, wow, praise the Lord, right? Imagine somebody come to you and be like, hey, I want to give you a check for 40 grand. And pff, come on. No, nobody else? Okay, just me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I remember, uh, I remember, sitting around and as we were driving, I was traveling some at the time, still talking about what we were planning on doing. And I remember just thinking like, oh man, it's gonna be so great. We're gonna be able to do this outreach and we're gonna be able to you know, buy chairs for the church and we're gonna be able to get you know, all of the sound system and all of the advertising and all of these things that we need to do. And we're, gonna have, we're just gonna be, man, it's gonna be great. God's provided, praise the Lord. Everything's gonna be good. And I remember when that check came, I'd made a bunch of plans, okay? We're going to do this. This is what we're going to do. And then the check came for, I think it was $500 from that church. <laughs> Gut punch. And, and I remember having all of these plans and this, and you know what? It wasn't God's will that that would happen. It just didn't happen for whatever reason. And you know, that's how life goes, isn't it? <laughs> So we need to be careful about our plans. Be careful about making lockdown like this is and not include God in them at all. Verse 16, he says, but now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. He's connecting that back to the guy who said, I'm going to get gain. Everything's going to be great. I have all these plans. That boasting is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. It cannot get any simpler than this. <laughs> when we know to do good, which, what is good? Plan with God in mind, and we don't do it, it's a sin. You say, well, God surely is going to reward me, and surely God is going to be impressed with my savviness. <laughs> and God's going to be impressed with my wise uh, retirement plans and, and my wise investments, and surely God's going to be... That doesn't impress God. What God wants to know is, hey, where am I in your life? Where am I in your life? 
What treasures are you building up for eternity? We know, the Bible is very clear about crowns of, uh, of rewards that we can receive for actions that take place here on this earth. We know that, and I pray that when I get to heaven, there will be people who will come to me and say, I'm here in heaven today because of your testimony. Thank you. I, I, I pray for that day. And we know that we will have an eternity to celebrate with God. So what are we doing for Him? Where does He fit into our plans today? If we build our lives on anything other than the Lord, we're headed for a life of heartache and destruction. See, pride is a great temptation to us as believers, isn't it? It really is. It's like, it's so subtle because we can be living and operating in pride and we don't even realize it sometimes. And it affects our personal relationships and the way that we talk with one another, but it also is damaging to our pursuit of the will of God when our own pride, our own self-sufficiency steps in and we say, you know what, God, I got this. You take care of somebody else who needs help. Hey, you know what, God, that person over there, they got some problems. <laughs> Wait a minute. We just hit both of those right at the same time. <laughs> you know, God, don't worry about me. I'm going to be fine. I'm sure everything's going to be great because I'm very smart. And I'm very wise. And God, I'm going to make plans for the future and everything's good. God's just saying, hey, where am I? Who are you to be the judge of the law? <laughs> where am I in your plans? Pay attention now. Pay attention, he says. It's not wise for us to live in that life of pride. You know, my goal for us is that we be a church that's focused on building one another up instead of tearing each other down. I know, there's, we do so much damage with our words. I could, tell you, I could tell you 15 stories off the top of my head of how I've hurt relationships and people. <laughs> I could tell you of pastors who are not in the ministry because of what people said about them. All questioning motives or whatever it may be. We could all tell of relationships that we used to have that are broken relationships because of things that were said that we said or they said. And it, it really makes an impact. That's why we need to remember that we're to be people who build one another up, exhorting and lifting and encouraging, edifying. And as well, my goal is that we'd be a church that not only would be wise and would make plans for our own personal lives and for our church, but in all of those decisions, God would be involved in them all. He'd be right there. We'd say, okay, I'm going to make this financial decision for my family. Hey, how does God fit into this? How can I advance his kingdom in this decision? How does this bring glory to God in this decision? In my, in my choice of job and, and, and where, maybe even where I choose to live. And if I go to a place, am I, am I making an impact for the gospel in that place? Am I stepping out of a situation where God is using me, where I'm being involved? And we have to think of all of these different aspects. But the big thing is just, where's God in it? Where's God in our decisions? Hope today's message was an encouragement in your relationship with Christ. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Baptist. Our prayer is that God will uniquely bless and grow you.